Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want to thank the Lord for our worship team and our worship band. And, uh, you know, just think of this. If we didn't have them, you'd have to listen to me sing. And that would be terrible. So uh, I really appreciate our worship team. They've done an awesome job. Amen. Uh, if you have God's word, and I trust that you brought the word with you today, and uh, we don't want to ever uh, get, arrive at church without having uh, that there in our hands. And so I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to pick up at verse 1 in just a moment as we look at John chapter 15. Um, I, I, I want to mention last night, I mean, last night we had about 160 ladies here for this, this women's event called Moms in Prayer, and Angie Sereno, uh, she was driving that thing, and of course her whole council, her team. And so this, this sanctuary, man, it was just full of women, ladies. How many ladies came last night? Raise your hand. I know there's some that are here because there were a lot of our ladies that were there last night, and uh, they did an awesome job. And so it was really quite an event for our women, and I just want to mention that publicly that I'm really proud of them. So we're going to John chapter 15 and looking at verse 1 through 5. But before we, uh, we look at the word uh, today, I want to invite us to, to read our statement this morning. Let's go ahead and pull up our statement. I do not have it back there. There we are. Okay. Let's read this together out loud as a congregation. I'm about to study the incorruptible, inerrant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom And I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with its repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to grow. I am ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, How many have ever heard the phrase, hope for the best and be prepared for the worst? How many have ever heard that before? Or even in 2 Timothy when it's talking about preaching and and we read the words, uh, we read the words, be prepared in season and and out of season. So so the idea is preparedness. And really this morning it's going to be spiritual preparedness. But but it's a good thing, right, to be prepared. I, I, I rejoice in the fact that our safety and security team, in fact, if you're a part of the safety and security team, would you just kind of raise your hand right there where you're at? Just raise your hand real high. There's several people that's a part of that team. Team, and they just placed an AED. You can put your hands down now, Brian. They, they just placed an AED. Am I saying that right, AED? They just placed an AED box uh, out there in the foyer to the left there by the nursery area in case there's an emergency. And somebody needs to be, you know, shocked, I guess, something like that. And so we have this preparedness concept that's happening. And, and it's a good thing to be prepared. Amen. And it's not a good thing if we're not prepared or we're ill prepared. Like my buddy and I, I have several friends here at Mission Church, but one of my friends, Brian, right here, we went fishing the other weekend and we had this bright idea. Hey, let's hike around to the back of the reservoir and let's go fishing because the big ones are over there. And so we each had one bottle of water. I mean, that was good. We had some water with us, right? 
And so we, we traipse around this reservoir and we, we start this hike. And I mean, it's boulders and rocks and it's not a traditional trail. But I mean, it's like, you know, it's a goat trail. OK, and we're getting around the end of it. And, we, you know, we wade through the swamp, the marsh at the end and back over the back. And, and we fish for about three hours. I caught like 10 bass and he got a bunch of bass. And, and we're having an awesome time, but, 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 but we're out of water. And so we start our trek back. We thought, well, maybe we better get, you know, make our way back to the truck. And, and so we're, we're walking, you know, we're doing the goat trail thing. And, you know, I can hear him behind me and I'm making noise up here. And I'm thinking, man, I'm hot. I am getting hot. And, and, you know, the fact was we were ill prepared. I'm a little embarrassed to even tell you the story, you know, because I've been in, I've been doing outdoor stuff for years. And, uh, but yet I've not really, I've not had a lot of experience here in the desert of Southern California, but we're down in this canyon and we're trying to make it out of the canyon. And, and finally we get to a point where we say, okay, you know, we need to cool off. We've got to cool our inner core, so to speak. So here we are, a couple 50-year-old men acting like teenagers on a summer outing, and we jump in the lake. And now we're sitting there in the water up to our neck in the water, just looking at the hills, and we're just kind of cooling down, cooling the inner core. And so, of course, we get out, and we make it back to the truck, and then everything's cool. We're here today to talk about it. It's a little embarrassing, you know, to be ill-prepared. So I, I want to talk about, and I've, I've really spent some time trying to say, you know, what, what I like to do is talk about being prepared spiritually. And the first message, in fact, there are three messages being prepared. And, and the first message is kind of a macro view, you know, of the church universal in, in regards to where we are at as far as the church goes. You know, the big picture, the macro view. But then the next Sunday, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be spiritually prepared as a local congregation and then the last Sunday, hang on to your seatbelt. The last Sunday, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be spiritually prepared as an individual for what God wants to do in, in our lives. And so that, that's how we're going to approach this. And so this morning, I want to say this. And if I had a, a sign of the Surgeon General warning or some kind of warning sign, I, I would put it up on the screen right now. Because the warning is that maybe I, I might offend some people this morning. I mean, I might be meddling just a little bit because, I mean, if we're going to be honest and talk about where we are at and the condition of the church, I mean, the macro view, and we allow the word of God, we allow the Bible, you see, to be the measuring stick, then it's very possible that, that I may be a bit direct because when we go to the Word of God, the Word of God is direct. And the Word of God speaks the truth. And we just said a statement. We just read a statement together that we are going to be open. Our attitude is going to be positive in regard to what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. And so I, I think maybe we might be tested a little bit on that. So what I want to begin to say, again, that macro view, I want to say it this way, that the church is facing, and I put a word and then I, I backed up, I backed the cursor up on my iPad and I, I changed the word. The word I started with was challenge. It's not a challenge. I want to say it like this, that the church today is facing a crisis. And maybe not Mission Church of the Nazarene, but, you know, most churches know that something is up. They're not sure what's going on, but they know that something is up because churches in America are in decline. How many knew that already? Raise your hand. Churches in America are in decline and young people are leaving the church by droves. And even though they're being raised in the church, they're leaving the church. They're not coming back to the church. 
And so there should be some concern that we have in regards to the condition of the church. In fact, Dr. Sam Powell mentioned this, talked about it a bit at our ministry team meeting and how that whole narrative is changing. And if we're not aware of that and we do not respond, then we'll be left in the dust. And so there, there is that understanding. But here's what I'm saying. Here, here is the crisis as far as this pastor is concerned. Here's the crisis. Far too many are absent but present. That's the way I want to phrase that. Far too many are absent but present when it comes to church. You see, here's the idea. The idea is that people are present in regards to the idea of spirituality. They're present in mind and even good intentions and, you know, the idea of church, the idea of, you know, thinking about God and talking about God. I mean, they're present in that manner, but but they are absent when it comes to the kind of passionate conviction that moves us to reproduce and share Jesus, to talk about heaven and hell and by the way, the enemy loves for us to keep coming up with variations of what we believe so that we remain polarized and we remain not focused on the mission that God has called us to. And by the way, the mission that God has called us to is Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. The, the mission is Jesus Christ. And I, I think we get lost in all these causes and all these causes take all of our attention and, and we're missing on missing out on the fact that there is the mission that God has called us to. Amen. And the mission is to be the church. Now, now I understand the Pareto principle. An Italian economist, Vilfredo Pareto, created a mathematical formula to describe the imbalance of things and how people respond that it can be applied to a volunteer organization. We've used that. The idea that 20% of people are doing 80% of the work or 20% of the people are giving, you know, 80% of the money. We, we understand that dynamic. And so, you know, that's part of the push there. And, and part of the challenge is that we increase that 20%. By the way, let me pause for a moment and let me just brag on this congregation one more time. Because I want to say to you folks, you hit it out of the park when it came to Vacation Bible School. Because Vacation Bible School, we had, we had board members and we had teachers and we had lay people. We had all kinds of people volunteering. In fact, we had about 60 kids in Vacation Bible School, Jenny, and we had over 60 adults. That were involved. Now, don't back up on that. Amen. That's what a growing church looks like, that we come together and with energy and synergy, we work to bring glory to the kingdom of God and win people to Jesus Christ. That's the mission. Amen. And so I, I recognize, again, there's the challenge, the Pareto principle. Now, now I, I do not do this very often, but for some reason, last Sunday I had some time and I... I started listening to a radio preacher. I don't do that very often, but I, I started listening to a radio preacher. It was a guy that I remember hearing preach when I was a kid. I mean, he's an old waiter. And he was talking about the fact that we are supposed to be fruit bearers. He was talking about this idea, this dynamic of, of producing fruit and how it tells us in an unbiased way something about where we are spiritually. You know, whether we are, you know, producing a... A spiritual fruit, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, good characteristics or Christian characteristics like kindness and, 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 you know, passing it forward, that kind of thing. But a spiritual fruit, meaning, you know, the fruit is, is a baby Christian, meaning that we've invited somebody to walk with Jesus or we've brought them to church or we've helped somebody pray and ask Jesus in their heart. And now the result of our living is that somebody has become a Christian and now there is a baby Christian. 
And then we disciple them and that baby Christian, then they lead somebody else to the Lord. And now we have a, a, a spiritual grandchild, so to speak. And so, so the fruit is this, this reality that because of our life and our testimony, people are meeting Jesus as their personal Savior. And he's, he's talking about this fruit. Which leads us really to our text this morning, John chapter 15, looking there at verse 1 through 5. And I love the great imagery that Jesus gives us in regards to, you know, the vine and the branches. I mean, you can just visualize this thing so well as we read the word of God. So bear with me as we read God's word together. Let's read it. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today. And I thank you, Lord, for Lord, just the great imagery that you've given us here. And I, I, I thank you, Father, for, Lord, how you are stirring our hearts this morning. And, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would, you would have your way with us. That you would have your way with our hearts and our minds. And, and that, Father, that, yes, you would have your way with this church. And that you will be glorified and lifted up, Father, because of, of our simple efforts. And so, Father, we just submit to you this morning. We submit to you, God. We love you, Jesus. And, and we just spent some time worshiping you. And, and all the words that we just sang, Lord, we, we mean that. We worship you, Father. We thank you for your grace. And so, Lord, I just pray that your anointing would be upon this word. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, again, we're spending time in the word and there's some things that are that are being said. I mean, really simply said in this passage. And I want to simply say them to you today. And here's the first thing that is simply said in this passage. And that is that God is the gardener. God is the gardener. This means that God, he is the creator of all things. I mean, he is the creator of life. I mean, he is the one that has laid the garden out. I mean, he's the one that created the soil for the garden, right? I mean, God is the gardener. And we can understand that simply. And since he is the gardener, he is the one that makes things grow. We understand that. The next thing that is simply said here, look at the passage. Take a moment. Look down at the word for a moment. God is paying attention to your life. Look at the verse there. While every branch that does not bear fruit, so he's noticing, he is an attentive God and he's attentive uh, of your life. He understands what's going on in your life. And he's not the God that is there in judgment that's waiting to judge you, but he is like the gardener that is the nurturing gardener, the gardener that is caring for you. I remember I have an uncle that pastored for 52 years and he always had a huge garden. And, and when I'd go visit my uncle Heber, my favorite uncle, he'd take me to the garden and walk through the rows and he'd lovingly touch this plant and lovingly pull this off. And he would just, he was the nurturer of the garden. And we see that this is the loving God that is attentive to our life. And he notices whether there is fruit and whether there is not fruit. God is paying attention to your life. That is simply said. Something else that is simply said in this passage is that God, listen to this, God is not afraid to put you through the pruning process. (laughs) Ouch. 
I have a, a lemon plant behind the house in Florida, our home that we own in Florida. And, and I have a lemon farmer that attended our church, gave me a, a little sapling that was only about this big, uh, just maybe a foot and a half tall of a lemon tree. And I, I love that tree and I nurtured that tree and it began to grow and it became, you know, larger and it was producing like 11 lemons. And I shared that with my, my lemon farmer member at the church and he said well you need to prune it you need to cut like 50 percent of it back i mean really cut it down and i i didn't want to do it i mean i watered it i love this thing i mean I, and so i did what i had to do and i i pruned that tree 50 percent of it down it was like cutting my fingernails to the quick it hurt and so i pruned the tree back well guess what the next year i had 63 lemons and after that it was an ever-bearing lemon tree that means it's bearing lemons all year round it produced hundreds, more than I could ever count, because of the pruning. And see, God, in the pruning process, may prune you. He may be removing things in your life. And it might be that new chapter that's happening. He's removing things in your life and pruning you that you might be ready for the fruit in your life that He wants to produce. I mean, sometimes it's the sandpaper of life that God uses, and He takes the sandpaper of life to polish you, and it's abrasive sometimes, to polish you into the image of Jesus Christ that He desires you to reflect for His glory. Amen. So God is not afraid to put you through a pruning process. It's simply said. Another thing simply said here is that that we have a good start. It's interesting there, I think it's verse 3, where where he basically says, you know the gospel. (laughs) You know the gospel. It's Jesus, and it's Jesus that cleanses. It's Jesus that renews us. I mean, when he forgives us of our sin, he cleanses us, he renews us, and he sets us on the right path. And it's interesting in the imagery of the, the, the branches and the vine that in the middle of this, he sets this down. Oh, by the way, you know the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, cleanses and brings life. Amen. And so, so it simply said here. And then it simply said, when we remain in the vine, look at the passage, when we remain in the vine, we will bear much fruit. Church. When we remain in the vine, then we will bear much fruit. And I think of that role, that, that reality of spiritual fruit. A mission church and the spiritual fruit that's being produced. I, I, I then I began to think about, you know, well, what's the preacher's role? I mean, if, if God is the gardener, he's caring for the garden, then there's the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. I'm thinking about the pastor. And you see, the pastor has a unique role. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm to be the fertilizer. I'm to feed and encourage God's people to provide nourishment and spiritual nutrition for spiritual life. You see, to, to lift you and to provide hope and to speak the truth. And, and you see, that's what the pastor's role is. That's why we need the Word of God. Because the Word of God, and why I'm so committed to the Word of God, because the Word of God is fertilizer for the soul. And it's that word that feeds us and, and lifts us and nourishes us. And, and so we recognize these simple truths. But still, I do, not want to, I do not want to ignore, you know, the reality of the crisis that the church is in. And, and I want to be a realist in regards to where the church is at. I, I was motivated by an excerpt that I received from Kim Foster uh, our service producer, Kim's not here. She's not feeling well, by the way. Pray for her. But Kim Foster is our service producer, and she had sent me an excerpt from a book and said, Pastor, look at this. And I looked at it and go, yeah. 
And the title of the book, I didn't like the title. The title of the book is Quit Church. Don't get any ideas. The title is Quit Church. That's the name of the book. And the concept is that if we keep approaching the idea of what it means to be a part of a church the way we do now, the church is doomed. Remember the macro view. You know, the decline. So the church, is, and he says that the problem is, is much bigger than the Pareto principle. And then he kind of does some, some, you know, Gallup polls and brings some statistics in, some survey stuff. And I want to share them. Here's, here's what he lists. He lists this as, as part of the reality, if we're to be realist, that only 39% of active believers consider the Bible to be the Word of God. That's the first fact that he lists in his Bible. That only 39% of the active believers consider the Bible to be the Word of God. That, that concerns me a bit. I mean, it, it concerns me that, that we're so open to, to allowing you know, our minds to be influenced and to intellectualize the idea of, of how we process it and receive it. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, we have people all, in all directions Rather than remembering that this faith began or this, this, this belief in God began with faith. I mean, amen. And we realize that this is the word of God and receive it by faith. There's some things that, that just simply take faith. Uh, the next fact, the next statistic he writes or puts in his book is less than 20% of believers follow the biblical principle of tithing. Again, this might be meddling just a bit, but I, I don't know if you're there or you've You've really taken the step of tithing, paying 10%. That means that you put in the offering plate 10% of your income. It means, by the way, that you do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, that you give out of love to the Lord. And by the way, you tithe, not just because you're a member, you tithe because you love Jesus. You don't have to be a member to tithe. You tithe because you love God and God has given you everlasting life. And so you pay your tithe because you love God. Amen. And he loves you. And you say, well, pastor, I can't afford to tithe. Well, folks, if you begin to do a study, you cannot afford not to tithe because God wants to bless you. In fact, the scripture says if you tithe, if you bless God, he will bless you more than you have room to store the blessing. Amen. God will bless you if you tithe. And, and I don't know if, 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 you know, that rings a bell with you or maybe it's something that you struggled with. But, man, I want to challenge you to tithe. Maybe, maybe you use tithe to give to your favorite project. That's not tithing, by the way. That's an offering. Maybe you use tithe to, you know, to, to affect or impact the system. Well, folks, that's not biblical. Or maybe you use tithe to vote on whether you like the way things are going or not. Folks, that's not biblical. Tithing is not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. We tithe because we love the Lord. Amen. And God calls us to tithe. Less than 20% of believers follow the principle. That means that less than 20% are, are being exposed to the possible blessing that God has for them. I think we can do better than that. Amen. And then the next statistic, only 5%, only 5% have ever shared their faith with a non-believer. And if we're, we're, we're measuring, you know, and God is attentive to the fruit, you know, baby Christians, baby Christians being produced by Mission Church of the Nazarene or being produced by your family or your, your testimony as you share Jesus or you invite Jesus or invite somebody to meet Jesus. You know, and if it's only 5%, that's only 5% that's in, that's in the fruit-bearing range. Interesting. He's saying this is the state of the church right now. This is what the author is saying. And then here's another one. More than half of churchgoers 
only attend church once per month or less. Only half. It used to be several, about 20 years ago, that the average churchgoer would miss only one Sunday or two Sundays, actually two Sundays a year. And then it, it, it turned into one Sunday a month. And now half, half attend one, once a month. How are we going to have revival? How are, is there going to be spiritual renewal unless we're present and being encouraged in, in the house of the Lord? Amen. And so what the guy is saying, the author is saying, this is not me. The author is saying, believers, it's time that we are all in or all out. So quit. Remember the title of the book? He says, so quit. Quit the casual way we approach God's principles and teachings. He then challenges, what if every believer exercised generosity? What if every believer fought for loyalty to the church and everyone served sacrificially their God-given purpose? What would happen if we stopped just believing and started belonging? Imagine if we were to quit the casual approach to our relationship with Jesus Christ in the local church. Imagine the reward. Imagine the joy. Imagine the blessing and the purpose. And imagine how it would revolutionize our church. If we quit the casual approach to Jesus Christ, man, is anybody excited about serving Jesus this morning? Amen. Because God has called us. Now, now in this passage that we're reading this morning, our text, I, I want to share with you spiritual habits that are necessary. This is what the Lord gave me for you this morning. Spiritual habits that are necessary for personal and church growth. Here they are. There's three of them. Spiritual habits that are necessary for personal and church growth. Here's the first one. We find it there in verse one. Actively serve God. I mean, God is the gardener. And we realize we realize that everything that we do, if we we do it, we do it unto him and do it for him. It means that we we do what we do for the glory of God and supporting the church and supporting ministry is not for the church and it's not for the pastor. It's for the glory of God. Amen. And so we serve God because we love Jesus. And that is different than the consumer mentality. And unfortunately, we go to the big mega church and, and everybody attends and they go and they wonder, well, how can they serve me? How can they serve me? How they, can they serve me? But, but you see, that, that's, that's not where God calls us. He calls us to actively serve Him. I, I was reading the devotion this week from Oswald Chambers, and the title of the devotion is Vigorous Spirituality. Vigorous Spirituality. And I asked my staff this week, I said, what does it mean, you know, to vigorously pursue God, to, to have vigorous spirituality. And I'm, I'm thinking about that in my mind's eye as I'm talking to this congregation, as I'm sharing with you this morning, the idea of vigorous spirituality. What would it mean for us to be vigorous in our faith and to be vigorous in our a love that we have for the Father? And then we would come into worship and we realize worship is not something that we check off. Oh, we've done our duty. We've come to worship the one time this month. But man, we cannot wait to get here when the doors are open so that we might be resourced by God and that we might worship God and that we might serve God. Have you ever thought of that? That in our worship experience, we are serving God? That we serve God by giving our worship to God and sacrificing that worship to Him. It is the way that we serve Him. And so here's how, here's how we have personal and, and corporate church growth. Is, is we actively serve God. Here's the second thing. Be honest with yourself. And again, this might be challenging, you know, but 
it means that we're, we're reflecting on how we're doing. You know, whether we're producing fruit and really healthy fruit. To be honest with yourself, to ask the question, where are we or where am I spiritually? Is there balance in life between work and family and church? Because the fact is an unhealthy vine produces unhealthy fruit or poor fruit. So be honest with yourself. And and to be honest, it brings us to what may need to be pruned away in our life. And maybe we're too much about sports and not enough about about Jesus. Or we're all about work and there's not a balance of spirituality. Or, or maybe it's, it's the church. We're overbalanced there. You see, part of it is we need to be healthy and we need to have balance in life. Amen. So being honest brings into our life what must be pruned. Being honest uh, admits that we are casual. It admits that maybe we're too casual about our faith or about our serving or about our tithing that I was talking about. Which means being bold with yourself and willing to step out in faith and take a little risk. So be honest with yourself. Here's the last one, and I appreciate you hanging in there. Here's the last one. Confess your faith to others. Confess your faith to others. The fact is, the moment that you invite Jesus to live in your heart, spiritual growth begins. And and the eternal hope becomes ours because we've met Christ and and now we're a child of God because we've been invited Jesus to be a part of our lives. And and, and as we confess that faith, it's not only good for ourselves, but it's good for others because others begin to experience who Jesus is through you. Amen. You, You know, the fact is, and I'm trying to process this in a way that makes sense, but the fact is, I know that in this world, people are hungry for, they're hungry for something. How many believe that this morning? That people are hungry for something and they're hungry for hope. They're hungry for truth. And I believe that if we project Christ and, and they seek Christ, that man, their life will be transformed because of Jesus. I, I, I will never forget Henry. The last week I was in Florida before I moved here to California to pastor this church, um, that Tuesday, I think, before we left town on Monday or Tuesday, the Tampa Rays, Major League Baseball team, had a game. And so uh, Henry and I went to the baseball game, and I have some selfie pictures that we took, and I think it's on Facebook. And, and Henry and I had a great time. I just wanted to spend time with this man that had become my friend. But I'll never forget Henry when I first met him. It was about five or six years before, and Henry had come to church on a Sunday morning, much like this Sunday morning, and I'd never seen him before. He's sitting in the back of our contemporary service. And and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder who that gentleman is. I saw his face about my age. Well, after the service, we preached and we worshiped and church happened. And after the service, I was out by the door shaking hands often as I stand and do that. And and I was out there by the door and, and, and he was one of the last ones to leave the church. And as he came through, he shook my hand and then he didn't he did not let it go. And he said, I'm Henry. I said, hi, Henry. I'm Tony. I'm pastor, of course. And he just looked at me, hanging on to my hand. And he said, I want, I want what you have. And, and I'm, I'm looking at his eyes. You know, one of those things that, you know, there's just, there's just something there, something that he was hungry for. And I said, Henry, let's talk. And so I told my wife, we need to wait for lunch. I need, I need to talk to this guy. And so we went to my office and he shared with me how he had been an alcoholic for 30 years. That his wife had just left him that week. His children despised him. In his life, he was broken. And so I, I shared Jesus as best as I could. And he, he was 
pretty much an atheist before that. And he just, all he knew is that there was something horribly wrong, something missing. And somehow, some way, he made his way to our sanctuary. And I shared Jesus, and I like to say that, wow, he prayed and asked Jesus in his heart, and he began to walk. It didn't happen like that. He listened, and then he said, Pastor, he said, bear with me, I'm processing. And Henry and I became friends. And Henry, he still attends that church, and he's still faithful, and he he continued to attend the church, and we continued to spend time together. And and he did come to a time, it took quite a while, I'm, I'm not sure how long, maybe a year, maybe two, but he did come to a place where he prayed, and and, and he said, honestly, his prayer, I'm not sure if I completely fully understand or even fully believe, but Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness, and I want you in my life. Henry became a Christian, and he was hungry, and he was empty. And church, no matter what the macro view is, people are hungry for the Word. They're hungry for Jesus. We have a mission. Amen. We have a mission and we have a purpose that is a worthy purpose. And I'm so excited about that. And I want to invite you to be excited about that too. That we can fulfill God's mission and purpose right here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. As you reach out and you tell your story about how Jesus has changed your life. Bring them and invite them to come to church. And let's just rejoice in what God is doing. Amen. Amen. Let's do that, church. We're going to move into a time of reflection and